0: So, you know, when it gets
1: to things like the paranormal, we get involved sometimes in issues of freedom of speech. And it's something we take for granted, though sometimes freedom of speech can go a little bit too far. Really? I'll give you an example, for example. Now, obviously, everybody who hears this show, except for the people in Las Vegas who hear it on the regular terrestrial radio, they're going on the Internet. And so we subscribe to a service that manages our websites and the particular service involved. And it's a place near L.A. called DreamHost. They believe in freedom of speech right. to such an extent. Now, they have porn sites. OK, they have adult sites mm-hmm. and that could create a problem. But they also have sites that express viewpoints that some of us might have a problem with, such as the American Nazi Party. So don't go read their stuff. Okay. I will not read their stuff. Right. But the point is, of course... Freedom of speech for everybody.
2: Exactly. Now, this is, of course, where the problem comes up in that people don't want to take responsibility for what they say. And it's interesting you brought up freedom of speech, Gene, because where is the line between expressing oneself and entering into the libelous slash slanderous side of the equation?
1: And also, where is the line of saying something that is strictly hate, that constitutes hate, and an organization like that that wants to get rid of Jews, blacks, American Indians, Asians, Arabs, everybody but blonde-haired Europeans, I think. Theoretically, right. Right, theoretically, of course. So at least the one thing I did do, which is I moved our services away from that host because I don't Mm -hmm. want to be in the same room as the American Nazi Party. It's that equivalent. It doesn't mean that they don't have a right to express their hateful point of view. I just don't want to be in the same room with them.
2: Sure. So you took the business elsewhere, and the hosting service pays the price for giving those guys their freedom of speech quote unquote of course what we're really talking about is freedom of speech for those who can afford it just like all the justice for those who can't afford it because you know the minute somebody with money goes after you and messes with you and has a lawyer come after you now all of a sudden your freedom of speech is gone and it really really comes down to is the ability to defend oneself and to come up with the funds to defend oneself if one wants to enjoy their freedom of speech because let's, let's be clear about this gene in our society it is now about maybe this has always been the case but essentially now it's all about the money and the paracast is not a show about (laughs) social issues and political issues though god knows it's something i'd like to have it be sometimes but uh we're at a point now in certainly the american experiment where really it all boils down to
1: class and race and i think in that order you know well well, if you have money that can overcome race If you are very rich. Well, look, for example, at the infamous O.J. Simpson trial. Well, sure. If you have a couple of million dollars to throw after the biggest, most powerful lawyers in the country, and you have a judge who doesn't have the guts, doesn't have the ability to keep things under control, you could ride roughshod over that judge and you can gain the decision you want. Right, exactly. And that's, I think
2: it's clear, that's what happened there. It wasn't a question of whether or not the guy did it. It was a question of his representation, his legal representation caused enough of a stir to where essentially he could on paper get away with it, even though I guess in the civil suit, um, he had to pay up the money.
1: Well, he had Um, to pay up the money in terms of the court ruling. He has not paid a dime. Oh, okay. It's always
2: interesting, of course, to attach a dollar value to a life. I think that's always been a real fascinating thing as, as far as these things go. But essentially, Gene, freedom of speech is really a relative term at this point in our world. I'll just talk about what's going on in this country right now, where everybody is real busy saying stuff. Everybody's got an opinion. Huh. There's an old saying we won't go into here on the air because it's questionable and it wouldn't fly in the Vegas terrestrial broadcast. But opinions are like bleep, everybody has one. So basically, everybody has to voice their opinion, whether or not they can back it up with anything. Uh, and are you talking about
1: Rosie O'Donnell here? Well, no, because I, I don't care about her. I don't either. I just wonder what is so screwed up about our nation's press that that's the most important thing that's happening now is Rosie O'Donnell That's not the most important well thing. That's that's what what they thing
2: that they think thing it is. no no that's what that's not what they think it is that's what they that's the distraction of the day they've been charged with disseminating I mean, let's be clear about this gene the major media are have been bought and paid for and that's over so to turn to the major media at this point in time to understand anything about our world I think would be a pretty severe mistake and god bless the internet for delivering alternative sources of information and news because this whole idea of just even the talking head and the importance of the talking head and the idea of paying a talking head a lot of money to get up there and look pretty and talk jive is one that uh, doesn't serve anybody except for the corporate overlords who are into conspiracy theory territory well, the corporate now, except-
1: overlords only want ratings And advertising dollars, and they'll pay the talking head who gets those ratings the right amount of dollars to keep talking about nonsense. Like, there's one out there who you hate, okay? There's one talking head out there, and the other day he said that if you hear... Stuff and if he hears stuff, people talking about things that he considers to be anti-American, in his opinion, anti-American, like for example, suggesting
2: Bush that maybe fund, Uber, Alice. okay, whatever, what? but oh, sorry, suggesting, you were saying?
1: suggesting, for example, that the government somehow is involved in a conspiracy to cause Seven World Trade Center to collapse. Okay, if we talk about that on the air, if someone talks about that, he says we should contact the sponsors and stop that talk that's he's his, a
2: neo-nazi he's a fascist who cares what he says his agenda is right out in the open and we know we all know who we're talking about yes we do this is the ultimate hypocrite like all of those guys are absolutely hypocritical in every way they say one thing out of one side of their mouth while they're doing the other thing out of the other side of their mouth
1: yes it's so, freedom of the speech as long as, as it's my concept of freedom of speech if you're saying something that is against my philosophy my beliefs whatever well if you go too far i'll call your sponsors i'll call your mother i'll call your father whatever your employer and i'll put a stop to it right now freedom of speech requires responsibility and
2: maturity neither of which seem to be prevalent aspects of humanity in today's world essentially gene everyone has devolved to being 12 years old Name-calling, finger-pointing, just raising the volume of their voices to compensate for any actual content, talking over people. I mean, you look at these fascist, idiot, harebrained, inbred bastards, and essentially uh, they're engaging in an old, old technique, long, long time, time time-tested, and I I suppose to some extent effective, but of course at the end of the day, the piper's going to get paid. And... You have these neo-fascists blowing smoke out of their bleep. And essentially, when it comes right down to it, the United States and our, our status in the world, our power in the world has been severely affected, maybe perhaps irreparably damaged. And the fascists, the ones that have supported this nightmare, are the ones who scream the loudest tones of patriotism, they're the least patriotic, and when it comes down to it, they're the first people to fly out of here when the crap really hits the fan. They're the first
1: who are going to vanish. We believe in freedom of expression, but it has to be my expression. If it's your expression and your expression happens to disagree with mine, well, that's how it goes. Yeah, they're they're 12-year-olds. Right. Obviously, obviously, it's got to be your interpretation. Now, clearly, on this particular show, we've had people on the air who We disagree with and Mm -hmm. we express that disagreement some people don't like the fact that we let people on the show and then we say well you know what that was a bunch of nonsense well Mm -hmm. that's who we are we might as well change the channel too Too bad if they don't like it don't listen to the show we're not going to stop expressing our opinions if we bring people on the show and we decide that they're saying something we don't agree with fine but if you have another opinion That's great, too. Express your opinion. Write us. Go to our message boards. Go into our forums. Write a book. If you write a book, we'll get you on the air. There you go. Sure. Give a lecture. Whatever. It's going to happen. Today on the Paracast, we happen to be getting back to a subject we haven't talked about too much lately, which is UFO abductions, and the gentleman we're going to be talking to is first-timer on the show, Daryl Sims, coming up next on the PowerCast. I
3: have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore
1: we have william burns the publisher of ufo magazine on the line william can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine
0: yes i sure can here's an offer for your listener we have a special five issue introductory offer for first-time subscribers nineteen ninety-five for your first five issues not available anywhere else but on the paracast so
1: bill how do they place the order
0: People can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com. They can also place orders over the phone at one 888 MAGA, Or they can write to us at Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295.
1: Bill, give us that contact information again.
0: It is UFO magazine, post office box 11013, Marina del Rey, California 90295, or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com. and they can also call 1888 UFO, m-a-g-a and they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card
2: gene and i love to hear from our listeners if you'd like to share your thoughts with us send your messages to news at that's news at and don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums also please patronize our sponsors Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in
0: the Paratast with Juice and Seren- David Petti. You never know what's going to happen next.
1: So, Daryl Sims. They call you the Alien Hunter. How did you get that title?
4: Well, actually, the title came to me... uh, I was speaking one night to a doctor in... This was out, I was in Georgia at the time, and a, a a writer was listening to my conversation. The doctor was inviting me to speak to 250 surgeons on medical complications of alleged human-alien contact, specifically the implant phenomena that I had discovered. And this was 1994, and uh, she overheard me and uh, in his interview with me, and she says, Oh, my God. You hunt them. Well, she's a contactee, so she couldn't deal with that. You actually hunt them. You're hunting them. I looked at her and smiled, and I said, I hunt them that hunted me and hunted my son. I said, you can hunt me and do whatever you want for a period of time, and they did from 1952 to 1965 for 13 years. But when you come after my son or my children, I hunt you. Game's over.
1: Hmm. Sounds to me like you're not very pleased with these aliens or whatever they are.
4: Well, it, it's not... It's not personal, and in the, in the sense of the word, that other than my son, aspect of it, uh, I'm pretty irritated by that. But the fact is that uh, having a police background and been in the intelligence community for two years and central intelligence in covert operations during the Vietnam War. I've taken all of those abilities and hypnotic abilities and training and various other things that I do as a licensed private investigator in the state of Texas. Taking those abilities, I've decided to focus my efforts in a, I would like to use the word scientific, but it's not completely that because I'm not a scientist. But I focus my efforts toward the scientific approach. And that's my primary interest in the phenomena, to bring physical evidence to this phenomena in a in a format that will bridge the gap between the UFO people and the scientists, who basically will have almost nothing to say to each other. One thinks the other is crazier than the other, so um, or that there's some giant conspiracy involved, and so on. So I. I to bridge the gap, as uh, one scientist uh, at MIT said, he says, you're, you're going to take a lot of heat from a lot of people, he said, from us and from them. I said, that's correct. He said, well, I just admire your courage, and I said, well, I don't see what else I can do.
1: You it's, then are like an equal opportunity offender.
2: <laughs> exactly. Okay. This sounds awfully familiar. <laughs> Darrell, let me ask you a question. When you talk about physical evidence, we're talking about these implants, these retrieved items, objects. Is that correct? That is correct. What have you done in terms of this research that overlaps what Dr. Roger Lear is doing? Or have you two guys worked together at all? I'm curious.
4: Well, um, <laughs> now here's a conspiracy for you. Uh, actually, I discovered implants in 1960 in my own experience when I was age 12 living on Ohio Street in Elm Gordon, New Mexico. I was conscious during the event, and I remember it. Uh, in 1995 I was out in California uh, speaking at a conference and uh, a lady walked up to me and says uh, could you show those to this fellow over here his little Short, diminutive guy, and he was really not impressed at all. I'm not sure if it was with me or what I claim to have evidence of. And it was uh, Roger Lear, and she says, um, "This is uh, Doctor Roger Lear." And I said, "Are you an M.D.?" And he says, uh, "No." He said, "I'm a podiatrist." I said, "Oh, okay. Well, that's a, obviously it's a it's a four year degree which allows him or any podiatrist to operate on the any the ankle and below. So." Um, he looked at uh... he didn't even want to look at the x-rays and i said well it doesn't make any difference whether you do or not i said i'm just looking for uh... someone to uh... uh... work with me on some of this stuff and he looked at it and he says well that's just a that's just uh... an object left from an osteotomy and i said no it's not he said yes it is no it's not he said, "Well, i'm the doctor and i said well you're a podiatrist you're not an md and uh... Um, I said, "Well, all due respect, sir." I said, "That's uh, not from the osteotomy." I said, "I've already had MDs and others look at this, and in fact, it's uh, there is no previous history of surgery." Well, his jaw dropped. And he says, "What?" I said, "Just what I said." So uh, I said, "I actually have two patients: one with a hand um, object, an uh, implant, the implanted or embedded object in his hand, and another one with uh, three of the objects on the inner foot, on the top of the foot, not the bottom." And I said, I originally thought it was a needle that broke and migrated, and uh, you think it's an osteotomy. I so said, we're both wrong. said there's no history of surgery whatsoever, none. And so both of them have um, conscious accounts of uh, the UFO phenomena, specifically abductions. And um, he said, well, why don't you just take them out? And I said, well, they don't have insurance or anything, and uh, I'm basically in the, having to pay for all this myself out of pocket. He says, Well, he said, I could do the foot one, and uh, I got a friend that uh, could do the hand, and uh, if you could get him to California, I said, I'll pay for everything. You know, flew them all out. We removed the objects. Roger mentioned he called me up. First, we told us, I said, Before we do any surgery, I said, Let me tell you guys, both you, the MD and the podiatrist, I said, Let me explain something. Before you cut on anybody or do anything, I need to make a prediction, which I made a year before in front of 250 surgeons. I said, If these objects are alien in origin, they will show no signs of an inflammatory response, either chronic or acute. And both of them laughed and said, That won't be true. And I said, It will. The second thing, is if the objects are alien in origin there will be no signs whatsoever of uh, technology he said well that doesn't make sense i said it's not about sense it's about what them the third thing is if these objects are alien in origin they will show show nerve cells that are uh... the wrong kind in the wrong part of the body and i said that won't happen well anyway that day after the surgery eleven that night uh... uh lear called and said i don't know how the hell you figure this stuff out he said, but there's no signs of inflammatory response According to the pathologist and there are wrong nerve cells present around the, the, the object. he said doesn't make any sense And he said it's in a biological cocoon that doesn't it just it just can't be this just doesn't happen And I laughed and I said, I, I kind of understand that He said well how did you know?" And I said, well, I said I know a lot about this. I said I experienced it in 1960 in my own experience. Well at that point I invited uh, Lear to come on board and help us with, uh, with my team,
0: mm-hmm.
4: which he did. And um, we had some um, unfortunate series of events occur, and this, this is I mean to say this in the kindest way, some of the implants started to disappear. This happened on his watch, and uh, I was uh, more than upset. Some of the abductees were so upset that uh, one of them actually tried to have him arrested uh, for the theft of her object. And then uh, later, um, something else happened that really floored me. I was, uh, a lot of times when I was out in California, he'd say, get on the computer and answer all these emails. He said, I don't know how to respond to these people. So I would, and, and while I was there, the, of course, tax machine next to is while well, he was uh, doing somebody's foot stuff, you know, whatever, and uh, a very troubling email came over, and uh, it had to do with the state board of uh, podiatry, and the attorney general, uh, going together with three surgeons, three actual MDs, uh, going to testify against Roger for malpractice. And I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> I've got him working on my own he said, it's all bogus, doesn't mean anything. I said, uh, well, doctors don't testify against each other, Roger. And when they do, uh, it's serious. It is dead serious. And they did, and he ended up getting four years. He pled guilty and got four a uh, $4,000 fine, three-year Uh, Probation on his license and uh, remedial training for surgery because the guy apparently lost the end of his foot. So, Mm. anyway, there were three things. That was the second thing. The third thing was uh, our work turned up in uh, a prolific UFO writer's book. (laughs) My implant work showed up in the guy's book. And, of course, I flew out to California and confronted Roger and said, How does this happen, since only I know about it and only you know about it? He said, Well, I guess it was me. So that was the third straw that broke Camel's back, and that's why I said, uh, You're out of here.
1: I want to ask you about the prolific writer. Okay. Hey there, listeners. Have you ever thought about hosting your website? You know where you can actually host your blog or your web page? Well, I'll tell you where to go. Host I can. Host I can. And as a matter of fact, they provide all our hosting, too, for this site. And guess what? Their price starts at only $7 a month. How could you go wrong? Its reliability and speed speaks for itself, and that's why we're able to provide you with this radio show that you're listening to right now. Its host, I can give them a try. You'll be glad you did. Hey, all you have to do is go to our website, thepowercast.com, and scroll down a little bit. You'll see a host I can banner. That's a host I can banner at thepowercast.com. Click on that banner, and you'll learn more about host I can where we host our sites
2: gene and i love to hear from our listeners if you'd like to share your thoughts with us send your messages to news at the that's news at the and don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums also please patronize our sponsors tell them that you've heard their ads on the paracast they'll appreciate it and we will too
0: You're in the power with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney.
1: You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the power with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We are talking to the alien hunter himself, Daryl Sims. And okay, would you tell us who that prolific writer is? Yeah, it's Whitley Oh, okay.
4: That's how he came out with a book on implants. The Did you have
1: any agreement up? with Dr. Lear as to how this information would be disclosed?
4: <laughs> we were partners at a corporation. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was so angry and so... I, actually, that's not the right word. I, that Anger, was I was way past that. I was hurt that someone that I brought in to this phenomena who didn't even believe in any of it, and, uh, and he asked me the same question. He said, I'm not an MD. He said, why are you... Why did you ever choose me to work with you? And I said, because I wanted to give you a chance. I felt like you would understand this phenomenon if I brought you into it. I mean, he already was writing some UFO stories out there for, uh, for Mufon Ventura. and did a good job. But the in uh, the implant thing, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You say, anybody can say whatever they want. But it, to me, in the UFO phenomenon, it usually boils down to two things, fame and money.
1: We have that problem in some of the paths and dark alleys that we've explored on the Powercast, which is there is so much ego, uh, so much manufactured controversy. I mean, there's enough crazy stuff going on. If you look at the English. UFO enigma, shorn of all the controversy and all this other stuff, there's a lot of strange things going on. But no, we have to put up with all this nonsense. But what kind of fame and e- what kind of fame and, and money are we talking about? Here? I don't know, at least it's the quest for same. Okay? It may not be the realization because if there's a realization I'd like to hear about it. We could always use a few extra dollars just to, you know, without selling our souls, of course. But, you know, Sure. I have no
4: problem with anybody making money. I mean, uh, uh, no problem at all. And that's—it's just commodities, It's like bricks. You can either throw one through a window, or you can build a, a shrine with it. You know, it's up to you. But uh, to do that on the backs of our abductees, I've never charged a penny to any of these abductees for any of my uh, therapeutic or or hypnotic work. I've never charged a penny for, uh, for instance, these surgeries. Uh, all this was done. Uh, they were placed in the finest. Hotel during the surgeries, I paid for their prescriptions, I paid for everything that cost any money out of my own pocket because I personally have gone through this phenomenon and I do not. I have a difficulty charging people who've gone through this just like I have, charging them money for something I've already done. And I don't belittle people who do. Believe me, they earn their money as either therapist or hypnotist or uh... you know I, I know there are a lot of people that do charge for this and, and i don't care that doesn't bother me i'm not saying they're wrong in doing it i'm saying i would be wrong for me it would be wrong so i just can't do that no i'm not some some heavyweight moralist it's just that I, it, it, it's it's like it's like having uh... had something horrific happen to you in your life and you turn and charge people for the same experience because <laughs> you figured out how to get out or how to get help or victory over it or something and i just can't do that for myself so,
2: Darrow, let, let me ask you a question. How do you afford to do this then? Because that can get to be a pretty pricey oh, proposition.
4: Now we're back into conspiracy. Let's see. Since you cost you all this money to do all this stuff, you must be empo- still employed by the CIA. They're giving you secret money. And I said, I wish they would. But I, I uh, had a falling out with them in 1971, 70, and uh, ended up... <laughs> sent to the land of the morning calm for the rest of my duration of my enlistment so i don't think i'll be uh... getting any checks from the government
2: the land uh, the of fact the is morning I'm a real com- estate
4: investor and uh, i do i do real estate investing and that's how i finance my own work in the ufo field mm-hmm.
2: the land of the morning calm
4: korea it was a yeah. punishment mm-hmm. I brought a congressional investigation against the central intelligence agency uh, in doing so, when you first go in and when you're finally accepted and you gave your top-secret clearance the whole nine yards, they refer to you as family. I mean, literally. The day that you cross them in any way, shape, or form, like bring a congressional investigation to a top-secret installation, you're not family anymore. You know, you uh, you lose your status. So I won't be getting any checks from anybody from the government, I don't think.
2: Hmm. All right. So you've been looking into this phenomenon for a long time. Yes, sir. You referred to it as extraterrestrial phenomenon. How do you know it's extraterrestrial? What,
4: what well, uh, I use the term that? generically extraterrestrial, and I, I will make a clear a clear uh, delineation here for myself. I am not under the impression it's extraterrestrial. I am under the impression that it is ultra, supra super or something else terrestrial by that i mean i'm not sure they're not from inside the planet i mean they smell like sulfur so that could indicate they come from here i'm not sure that they are not ultra-dimensional because some of that is recorded as well Mm -hmm. i am also of the opinion that when they're here in three dimensions that they're they're just as vulnerable as you and I are. Mm -hmm. And we have plenty of anecdotal and other evidence to support that. I think Roswell, if it's a true story and they do have the craft, is probably the best evidence of that. I hear all the time statements from people that they're this and they're that. And as I was speaking at another conference out in California, no, excuse me, at the same time when I met Roger, uh, a gentleman walked up to me after, a real tall guy, big guy. And he says, uh, Mr. Sanders, yes. And he says, my name is Ron. And uh, he said, I'm a DSP satellite specialist. And I said, wow, sounds cool. He said, uh, like... Like you'd go home with me, and uh, like talk to you. He said, "I have a secret clearance, and I understand you have top secretness." Yes, he said. I think we can figure out how to converse. And I said, "I, I think we can." And um, he gets me these his house, starts cooking dinner, and he says, two questions. First of all, why did you start looking at the alien and alien evidence in the infrared and ultraviolet and visible range?" I said, "Because that's how they see." He said, "I beg your pardon?" I said, "They see in the infrared, ultraviolet, and infrared range." He said, "How do you know that?" because I was there. I'm an eyewitness. I was there. And he he says, wow. He said, well, I work on the, I actually designed some of the components on the DSP, DSP spy satellite. That's the one in the, the movie Enemy of the State You know, that can read your watch from 2,300 miles up. And that's not classified, by the way. You can imagine what it is. He said, we actually uh, used the infrared, ultraviolet, invisible range with the three eyes on this on the satellite. There are 18 of them. I said, yes. And uh, I said, have you ever seen a UFO at any time with the DSP satellite, a flying saucer? He said, absolutely not. I said, have you ever seen a fast or slow walker? He smiled and said, well, of course. I said, if I would use the term UFO or flying saucer as the wackos maybe out there do, or people like me, and I use interchangeably the word uh, fast walker and slow walker with your definition, could those be construed to be the same? He smiled and says, I can neither confirm nor deny that mm-hmm. statement. Well, what that means is yes. Right. I said, are you trying to tell me that you, I said, my question to you is, when UFOs wink out, they go to another dimension or where everybody thinks they're going. I said, they're still there, aren't they? He smiled and said, yes. He said, they just moved from visible to infrared or ultraviolet. He said, they're still there. We can still see them. <laughs>
1: Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730. Or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's one 800 728 2730 or www.fatemag.com What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits.
2: Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at That's news at And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. This is the Paracast, with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. You never know what's going to happen. X. Yes.
1: You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to Daryl Sims, who calls himself the Alien Hunter. I want to ask you a question about
2: infrared ultraviolet, because I think that's a very interesting notion, and it, it leads to two issues. A, those are two separate parts of the spectrum at opposite ends of the spectrum. What they share is they're both beyond the normal range of human vision, and B, does that mean if you had an infrared camera looking up at the sky, you'd see a lot of things? that you wouldn't see under normal circumstances?
4: You might see something. I don't, I don't know. You'd have to actually test that and see. Right. What I'm saying is the DSP satellite has been looking at things called fast and slow walkers that appear in visible light, infrared, ultraviolet, and they cannot deem them as craft of any kind that they know anything about, that they have records of these, and I asked for those records and received some of them. What those records show to me is that the United States government under the DSP satellite program, the Defense System Program satellites, has bona fide information of the proper ascension, declination, and time of those events, and if you could get those logs and catalog those times and dates with abduction events already recorded, you probably have the United States government furnishing you with physical evidence of an immutable form showing that you, in fact, may have had a UFO in your exact area when that event occurred, and there's probably a good record of it. So but I don't think that's the whole purpose. It's a sidelight of what that, that system will do.
2: All right, so government is monitoring these episodes.
4: What uh, do you think? Well, they what, are simply because they let's assume they don't know what they are. They didn't right. at one time. I think they have a much better idea by now. But the fact is, of course you would monitor it. Uh, anytime you have, I have five postulates that I espouse and those postulates basically start off with the idea that if UFOs are real, then they in effect have some type of, if they're really real, then there's, there has to be evidence of Yet There has to be government, public and other photographs and witnesses and so on. And if that's true, then those photographs have to be available, and so you have to be able to see them. And we have. If it's also true, then that the UFOs are real, that there is, in fact, actual interactions with them by the government and other, not limited to any one group of people, then the, the next precept has to be true, and that is the fact is that if that's a bus, so to speak, just like an airplane, then somebody's driving the bus. They are under intelligent control of some kind, and therefore somebody's driving the bus. You wouldn't expect to see a bus driving down the street with nobody in it. Normally, you uh, think that if it's under intelligent control, somebody's controlling it from external or from within. The third thing is the fact that that is all true, that in fact, and these things have been around for a long time, and they have, from Alexander the Great describing them as flying shields above his battles, to the Ottoman Empire, with the Islamics describing the same thing, and these flying shields watching these battles is an example, which is very telling in itself, in my view. Uh, All that being true, and they're historical, what you have is a phenomenon that's been watching us for quite a while. And that they seem to be watching us in a much more distinct form because it's, they're also watching the military aspect of us, in, in as much as nukes and this sort of thing. But the fact is, they've been watching "quote unquote" the battle for a long time, and they're they're interested, in, in my opinion, not in those little rinky-dink wars, people chucking spears at each other and shooting arrows, but they're more interested in who's in those battles, and their entire lineages. And I think the abductees or a product of some of this observation.
1: Let's go into the abductions because you've spent so much of your research time to that. You had encounters when you were very young. Now, did they come out through hypnosis or do you have a conscious memory of them?
4: Well, I'm glad you asked. Someone uh, told me, he said, have you ever heard Jim Sparks? And I said, no. And it says, well, he's going to be on up here at the conference, up here at Laughlin. And I said, well, great, I'll hear him. so said, well, his adventure eventually conscious. And I said, well, so am I. And said, "Oh!" And I said, "That's why I listened to his conference." And what I basically heard from him was that he sometimes can't make a distinction between that which was fake that he saw and that which was real that he saw, because these entities are extremely deceptive, and uh, they're they're just like we were in, in the intelligence community. They hide and they lie, and uh, I mean, it's they do that. It, there's and there's a purpose and strategy to that. The bottom line is that uh, my events. The difference between me and Jim, I think, is that I remember the difference between my two events. I know when they pull the wool over my eyes, and I remember the time when it wasn't. And of course, I look for evidence of both of those. So, and I work with abductees along the same line to basically uh, get past the screensaver, so to speak, or the screen. Uh, screensaver on, on your the computer of your brain so to speak if you just shake that computer the old screensaver will disappear and you have to know how to do that and you don't have to use hypnosis to uncover all this stuff number one is hypnosis in my opinion is uh, dangerous could be and hypnotherapy of course is not the difference is that anyone can learn to hypnotize anyone, but that doesn't guarantee you memory. Memory and recall are not the same thing. You can recall, and I did this for a group out in California in front of a bunch of therapists and psychiatrists. I hypnotized a hypnotist and did a stage show with them, so they were having a blast uh, riding this old rickety bus with this while she was a little kid. After it was over, she was telling us all this amazing stuff went on the bus. I said, sweetie, I said, you're sitting in this chair and no one ever saw you leave. You didn't go anywhere. Hmm. Well, her face turned red, she's oh yeah I said but to you everything was real and she said yes I said that's called screen memory or that's not real memory I said that is in fact just recall you're recalling what you felt or thought or saw in your brain that is not necessarily the truth because you didn't go anywhere then I took another person out of the audience who was an abductee I'd never worked with walked her up front she was very nervous I said just look at me I said we're not going to do any hypnosis I just want to ask you two questions she said okay I asked her two questions and instantly took her to the memory and she started crying and uncontrolled and started describing her encounter with this uh, Nordic type being that was in her event and it required no hypnosis whatsoever so hypnosis isn't the magic bullet and it is in fact inappropriate a lot of times and even shamelessly done with a lot of these people in my view simply because, well, if you found a dinosaur uh, dinosaur bones underneath this bone sticking out, and oh my gosh, this could be a T Rex. You know, you wouldn't go get your neighbor who has a front end loader to come dig it up for you. You'd actually go get somebody who knew what they were doing. Well, sure. And when you tear a, someone's experience up like this with all these, well, we use a dissociative technique to recover memory. That's a technique we use to destroy memory in therapy, such as phobias. <laughs>
1: If you're looking for a better way to present or collaborate during your conference calls, your solution is simple. Web conferencing with GoToMeeting. During your call, everyone logs on to GoToMeeting.com and your computer screen shows up on their computer screens. It's like you're all in the same room. GoToMeeting is perfect for sales or product demos, training or real-time collaboration. Plus, you're not charged per minute like other providers. You can meet as often as you want, for as long as you need. With GoToMeeting, you can meet with anyone, anywhere, without leaving your office. You'll not only save time, but money, too. See for yourself. Try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. Just visit GoToMeeting.com forward slash podcast. That's GoToMeeting.com forward slash podcast. Try GoToMeeting today. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at
2: theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too.
0: You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedny. You never know
1: what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietany. We're talking to Daryl Sims, The Alien Hunter. He's author of a book called Alien Hunter, The Evidence... In light, And I guess this is something that David and I wonder about here with regard to the various hypnotic sessions, and that is the danger that the abduction experience doesn't exist beyond the session, that somehow the hypnotist has done something to instill the belief or the memory of this encounter. What do you think of that?
4: Okay, I've uh, debated uh, Dr. Susan Clancy, Dr. Blackmore, and others on these issues, and they say we can create an abductee basically in in the uh, lab and i said well doesn't that that's said, you're missing the point doesn't it tell you how powerfully some of these people have been affected that never made it to your lab it gives you an idea of that head equipment and other stuff you're putting on these people and things you're putting them through it gives you an idea of the kind of uh, of bizarre stuff that these people have actually had to go through i said you installed it these people didn't I said, on the other hand, can people imagine? Of course they can. I said, the problem, and when CNN called and said, well, there are only three people in the United States that we consider the top people, you, Bud Hopkins, and Dr. Jacobs. And I said, well, thank you. Nice to be in good company. Uh, I said, we'd like for you to debate Dr. Susan Clancy. I said, There's no, there is no argument. There is no discussion. I said I'm familiar with the work and I respect it, but you're because you're uninformed, you're going to parrot things that you don't understand. They said, give us an example. I said I'll give you the truth. I said, for instance, what she's saying is that these events are as a result of sleep paralysis, and these various different states can occur to you. I said, mm-hmm. no one disagrees with this. I said, well, the problem is this. I said, 65 to 68 percent of these events in the United States occur while people are wide awake walking around, 92% of them in South America, they're completely wide awake. I said, so at what point do you want me to consider sleep paralysis as a valid concern when these people are awake? Well, she got quiet. This is uh, one of the top people in CNN, came came to my home for two days to film us. She said, well, we had no idea. And I said, that's the problem. You don't, you allow people to tell you and to set the format for how that's gonna be. And then everybody has to answer within their format. The problem is, I said, my experience, I I was hunting when I was uh, 14 years old with a .22 rifle when I lived in Alamogordo, New Mexico, out there near White Sands in Holloman Air Force Base, and I was abducted in the desert while I had a rifle loaded with 1722 rounds in it, period. I I I wasn't having sleep paralysis. I said, it doesn't make any sense. I said, if you were smart, you would have picked someone instead of these people. You would pick Dr. Jean Mundy, a professor emeritus, Long Island University, who is a specialist in specifically the area of hallucination and how memory is actually formed. She would tell you that she has already worked with many abductees and found the vast majority of them not to be have any mental defect or imagination whatsoever, not fantasy prone individuals, and so on. The point is, she says, hallucination is not constructed this way, and people are assuming hallucination works this way and it doesn't anyway that long story short is they did not put that on the TV that's for sure and I said the second thing is in these waking states or unwaking states it doesn't matter I said we're coming up with fluorescence on these people we're coming up with physical markings that could not have occurred we're coming up with cases where people have been hospitalized we're coming up with cases two cases I have in Dallas Texas where the children actually died as a result of their encounters that's my Point is, what whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop, stop. Stop,
1: stop a second. Two cases where they died as a result of the encounter? That is correct. Can you tell us a bit about Elaborate, that? Elaborate, please.
4: Uh, well, I can give you that, and I also give you cases in uh, Brazil as well, where people have been injured or even died. And uh, a plug for someone's book that's deceased is a, a book called uh, UFO Danger Zone, by Bob Pratt, and it's uh, ten years of uh, excellent field work done by Bob Pratt in Brazil, in which uh, abductees, farmers, mostly just uh, it, it, many of them South American Indians, the Indian population attacked and assaulted by UFOs coming out of the Amazonian basin river. Uh, they were referred to as uh, chupa-chupas, apparently by the noise that they made when they came up out of the water. The point is that uh, these people were often injured, hurt, and some of them even died as a result of their events. That's documented in that book, UFO Danger Zone, by Bob Pratt. Second is there is historical record, regardless of what I'm fixing to tell you. I debated this with my buddy, uh, uh, Ted Oliphant, and this story is in my book, Under the Fluorescence, when he talked about, about cattle mutilations being primarily the government doing it. And I said, No, sir, they're not. I said, It's, it's us. It's not us. It's them. And he said, No. And I said, they it's actually exactly both. And he said, No, it's just them. I said, No, it's not. And I said, The uh, the fact is, I said, there are massive reports far older than we had airplanes. I said, Back in the 1800s, I said, I can give you report after report after report of acres, not a cow acres of meat being dropped out of the sky and in some accounts the meat's been sliced now this is the eighteen hundreds in a number of the cases they were body parts entrails and some of them were human now these were discovered by doctors and and various different people and, and uh, engineers and others looked at it and, and made these determinations in the 1800s. I said, who do you suppose in the government was flying an airplane around them doing all this? Well, the argument just ceased at that point. I said, like I said, I said, this thing is bigger than you think. Yes, the government is involved in it. He said, well, did my helicopter show up? And I said, duh. <laughs> duh. All, I said all the intelligence community has to do, this, specifically NSA, has to do is make a phone call and say we're looking for this 267 nanometer length of, uh, of fluorescence on any thing in the cow or deer population in the state of Kansas. They tell that to DSP. They turn on their camera, their, their camera <laughs> Those 18 cameras that go by every 12 minutes. And, and uh, they look, and if I see a signature in fluorescence of 269, 67 nanometers as an example, which is what you might find on a cow, the same fluorescence that you found on the abductees, they call it in. They don't know. They're not part of a conspiracy. They don't get it. They don't know. They're just doing their job. They report back to NSA and say, we have a cow out here in this field and this farmer's ranch out here, blah, 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 here are the coordinates, and next thing you see is a black helicopter flying out there. I say, It's not a conspiracy. Had. I said, they're catching the fluorescent signature, which I already have, of these pe- these entities that have touched these cows. They leave a fluorescent trace on them, just like they do on humans. The point is that this trace, then, uh, it can be picked monitored by a DSP satellite, and they'll send out by black helicopter. And these guys are going to pick the cow up, not because they're the ones that want to mutilate it, because they want to find out whatever they de- whoever they are, whatever they did to it, they want to know. I mean, I would. If I put all well, these cows before they got mutilated, I'd do
1: that, too. Fate magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate magazine, call now at one 800 728 Or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You're in the Paracast
2: with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next.
1: You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, And we have one more session with Daryl Sims, the alien hunter, author of a book called Alien Hunter. David. Well, this really now begs the important question, Daryl. What do you think is
2: going on here? What are these entities? Why are they putting implants in people? Well, let's cut right to it. What's the yeah. interest in cows? What's the interest What's in What's the interest in cows?
4: Very good. Yeah. It's not just cows. Uh, number of our abductees, even children, will report mutilations on uh, rabbits, birds, squirrels, and so on. One little child was asked, about four and a half years old. Says, "What are they? What are they doing with them?" He says, "Sometimes they take the black thing out of the eye of the uh, the pupil out of the." Uh, uh, out of the animals, like uh, either a cow or or these small animals, his he, impression he was they, he said that maybe they use it for their eye. He didn't know, but the. The bottom line is that there is an interest and has been for many, many years before we ever had airplanes in the mutilation of animals and people and so on. Uh, I was doing a, a show for the X-Files. They asked me to go on that. I, I, I refused about 10 times and finally the guy said, we'll pay you. And I said, I'm not interested. And he said, uh, yeah, he really stroked me. He says, look, he said, you're ex-CIA, you're military police officer, you're this or that and all this. Please, come on. You've got to do it for ufology. And I said, all right. And I said, but I'm going to ruin your show. I said, because I'm not going to be what you want. I'm not going to be your parrot. And he said, okay, we don't care. So the first question out of the box, he said, do you feel like the X-Files has helped you? And I said, not at all. Well, they were just shocked. And then he said, well, I said, I don't want some idiot to call me in the middle of the night. I saw a blood blood. And he says, well, what kind of cases do you handle? And that's exactly what I wanted to to ask. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, down in Brazil, I said, a guy was found crying in the in the.' Bushes uh, the next morning by uh, several uh, children who went to school. They recognized his voice, and I said, This place has no electricity, no, no TV, so I know they weren't watching The X Files. I got this on film, by the way, interview <laughs> because they gave it to me. They were so impressed with it. And um, uh, the children came over, and they were horrified to see that the, the, the man in their community. It had his eyes surgically removed. I said, before you go into the conspiracy thing of, oh, yeah, there's doctors wandering around the, the jungles of these places just looking for people's eyeballs so they can remove them and resell them. I said the eyes were not removed in that fashion i said the guy uh, actually went completely insane That was about two or three years that it happened afterward he finally went insane and he's in interned in a in a mental hospital right now in brazil i said you want to put that on your uh, x-files show and of course then i got pretty bent out of shape and i said now i said i want to thank chris carter for stealing my fluorescence implants and the military part of the abduction stuff and putting it on your show i said you should at least give credit for where you get your stuff and they admitted. It on film. this is want. all
2: great. But let's get back to the question: What's going on here? What is the purpose? of removing body parts from an animal and then throwing the rest of the animal back.
4: It's a good question that uh, the military, and, and specifically not military, NSA and part of the Central Intelligence Agency and uh, Office of Naval Investigations, in my opinion, and I don't know, I, it's just an educated guess, are inv- involved in this as well. Some of this stuff they do, the, the entities themselves, and I use the word entity because I'm not really sure what an alien is. Right, sure. That's a... A bandied term, but I, I don't know where they come from or who they are i'm just i'm just just looking that's why we look for physical evidence and mm-hmm. part of it has to do with the cattle stuff. The mutilation part or the high, deaths of high strangeness this is so alarming to us that uh, it it strains the credulous of the so-called alien, and any human being who could sit there and try to defend that, particularly when you see the marks and cuts and things I've seen on uh, Dr. Carla Turner's husband and herself as an example before her death, and horrible cuts and things on people that uh, that are not self-inflicted. Files are full of this sort of thing, and so when people stand there and tell me they're here to save the planet, fix the ozone hole, and so on, I ask them, when do you think they're going to get started? They've been here for at least 6,000 years, and they haven't done any of that, but they have left a trail of damage and scared people and left a lot of cultures uh, completely in the dark and literally took and mythologized their existence so that you can't hardly even find them except in, their, in the myths and cultures of these various peoples. It sounds like they're, they're, they're pretty
1: nasty that, beings that they really don't like us. They're not uh, here to do anything they're good. Not,
4: they're not here to save anybody's planet. They're here. For, whatever they're here for, I'll give you this much, whatever they're here for is what they were here for originally. Now, the problem is they've changed the tune of that to every culture that came along. We are now educated. We're smart. We're... Americans and Europeans, and so fairies are not going to work anymore. The jinn of Islam is not going to work anymore, so now they're aliens. How does that well, suit you?
2: Well, that actually goes pretty close to things we've been discussing on the Paracast recently, where for many of us who look at this topic, it, it seems like there's, um, there's misdirection and deception
4: going on. That is the, the name of the game. In fact, in my opinion uh... had a discussion with a theologian here a while back, and he says, "I he said, I have a problem." He said, I, he said, "I'm a Christian," and I said, "Well, so am I." And he says, "I can't figure out why." Our stuff over here, which I believe to be true, and one of the UFO community, they've got their stuff over here. And he said, I also think that's true. Why these two don't marry? And I said, because you're both looking through your own glasses, and you need to just take those off and look at the phenomenon for what it is. I said, actually, you're both correct. I said, the problem with the UFO community is this. They see the little gray alien and then the taller little doctor type who looks just like him but bigger. They think when that little guy grows up, he's going to be a doctor. i <laughs> news for you. They don't grow up. If, if you believe in evolution, you forget it concerning the alien. It doesn't exist. Whatever they are is what they're they're going to be forever, however they get here. Based on my own eyewitness reports at age 4, 1952, and based on actual photographs I have, in my opinion, of uh, some alien entities, these entities show no belly button. They show no uh, genitalia. And they show no uh, mammary glands, which means they didn't suckle, which means they weren't born, which means they didn't get here the way everybody else did. They either were manufactured, cloned, hatched, or they got here some other way
1: they're missing out on all the fun in life.
4: I guess so, you know. I don't know, I kind of like the having the belly button thing. It kind of reminds me that I belong to at least a group, you know, that I can deal with, kind of.
2: Well, so it means that we're talking about engineered beings. At the same time, Daryl, I would submit that in the same way that we don't know what they are, we don't know what the manufacturing process might be, and we don't know what the end result of that manufacturing process might be. The physical form of these things might be a material projection, so that that there can be interaction with us in our dimensional construct. But all I'm going to suggest is to make hard statements about what these things are it's diff- it's really difficult to do, that. and I, for me, I, I might think twice about doing that just because well, the, seems- the reason I,
4: I present what I do and, and right. make some of the statements I do is because I may have other information that supports my viewpoint, such as not personal opinion.
1: Now, your book again is called Alien Hunter. Is that available at all the usual offenders? Uh,
4: the, no, it's, it's actually only available uh, from me. They can write my website and just click on Alien Hunter, and I can forward them the information. I've just acquired a book publisher that I self-published to begin with because I wanted things done a particular way. And uh, House is now handling my book. So if people want to get a copy of that and, and look at it, the abduction phenomena as well as the science that we bring to it, and the police uh, approach, then uh, they, they can certainly do that if they want to write me and I'll be glad to forward them any information they need on it. All
1: right, would you care to give us your email address then?
4: My email address is Sims at yahoo.com. That's D-E-R-R-E-L-W. S-I-M-S at
1: yahoo.com. And the website? Or www.alienhunter.com. And you can get it there as well. www.alienhunter.com. Alienhunter.org. Okay, alienhunter.org. Let's do that again. www.alienhunter.org. The book is called Alien Hunter. We want to thank Daryl Sims for joining us this week on the PowerCast. Thank you
2: both. Welcome back to the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietnig.
1: Okay, I recall in Congress, especially not so much now, but years ago, a representative or a senator would take out a phone book and start reading it for day and day and day after day to filibuster. I I saw
2: that movie. That was Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. He starts doing
1: that. Right. Yeah. But it happened in reality, too. But in the case of Daryl Sims, like I asked him to explain about (laughs) the two children who were killed by a UFO. Yeah. Yeah. And he starts talking about somebody who wrote a book about something that happened in Brazil, but he never answered the question. And that was the problem with a lot of the things he said. He made lots of statements, lots and lots of statements. And when you try to pin him down, he tells you a story. Right. I noticed that there was a lot of that. There
2: was a lot of not just filibustering, but also answering a question with a story that didn't have a ton to do with the question i have concerns with people who make definitive statements about this phenomenon as we as you well know gene and i i don't know what i think of this interview i i uh i'm a little uneasy about this i'm gonna say that at this point i'm on the fence about daryl's stories I, I don't know some of it some of it's interesting some of it's stuff that other people have been saying as well but you know, we had on uh, Dr. Lear, and I found him to be uh, fairly competent and fairly serious about this. Uh, you know, uh, to hear Daryl Sims completely trash Roger Lear, I i don't know how I feel about
1: that. I don't... I don't I have, I have some concerns there. Let's leave it at that. Well, we have asked Dr. Lear if he's willing to come on the show and mm-hmm. certainly bring us up to date on the work he's doing, but also respond to what Daryl Sims says. And I yeah. know that there have been comments in our message board suggesting that Sims makes a lot of claims and they'd like us to pin him down. Well, if the man wants to read the phone book on the air and not answer a direct question, that's difficult. But sometimes just letting yeah. a person talk... They can hang themselves without you contributing to the efforts or giving them a rope. And that kind of reminds me of what happened with, with Jim Sparks when he was on the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, we
2: saw some of that as well. I, there was some stuff that, you know, uh, what our listeners have to understand is that often we interview people weeks or, you know, a week or two before the actual air date of the interview. So some of the questions that we see on our forums happen after the interview occurs for example, in the case of Sims, I was not aware of this notion that he uh, he doesn't believe in evolution. A few of our uh, more active contributors on the forums pointed that out or claimed that. I did not know that going into the interview. Had I known that, <laughs> it could have gotten ugly. But I think the thing that our listeners also have to understand is that we have to do a show every week, and we need to get people on the show, and often... We can't get on the people that we want to get. Uh, we send a lot of emails out inviting people to be on the show. And a lot of those don't get responses for whatever reasons. I think one of the reasons is that we're starting to get a reputation as a place that asks hard questions. And a lot of guests are going to pause before considering coming on the show for just that reason. So, you know, some of these people, I don't know that they're my first choices. I know that recently we've had some guests on where. Uh, it's a good thing people can't see my face through the uh, podcast mechanism. Of course, there are a lot of good reasons for that. But I've been doing a lot of cringing lately with some of our guests and trying to keep you know, the tone of the discussion reasonable versus what often it almost, for me, degenerates into, which is uh, something a little less than pleasant. So who knows how people perceive this interview with Daryl Sims went. I'm sure we'll hear about
1: it on the forums. And coming up next on the PowerCast, we'll be talking to Tracy Austin Peters. She hosts a, I guess, a cable TV show on the paranormal. And she has lots of fascinating stories to present. And that comes up next on the PowerCast. Okay, Tracy Austin Peters. Let's look at the history here. You're a musician, Uh a concert pianist, and you're performing in London. And I'm jealous already. I am jealous, insanely (laughs) jealous that you were performing in London, and then you Uh see a UFO. Tell us about this.
3: Right. Well, you know, even though you say that you're jealous there, um, it's it's. Bloody hard work! if I can say that you know, trying to train to be a concert pianist, I used to put about seven hours a day in of practice. So um, it was it was pretty intense, and that was my goal to be the top of my game as a concert pianist. And uh, everything kind of fell apart when I had my very first UFO sighting in the middle of London, which would have been about 1987. And I was with my best friend at the time; he was a guitarist. And we were at the YMCA where we were staying as musicians, and we were just talking, and we were looking out this uh, window. There was a whole row of about seven windows, so we had a good, clear view of the London sky. And it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and suddenly something caught my attention in the sky. And I looked to my friend, and I said, what the... Bloody how is that? And uh, he turned to me and looked, and he said, "It's Oh, my God, it's a UFO. And I said, What do you mean a UFO? I really hadn't you know, looked into what a UFO was back then. I was so into my music, which I had been as an 8-year-old and uh, very focused on, on the goal. And, um, ask some, i have a quick question mean?
1: about musicians. Why is it that it all happens somewhere between 5 and 8? My son started playing violin about 8 years old or so.
3: Well, you know, that's a very good question. Uh, For me personally, there was already a piano in the family household, and I didn't have parents who pushed me to do that. It was something that I personally wanted to do. I wanted to have lessons and learn how to play. I think that most children between five and eight are very sensitive Children. And this is why a lot of the unknown of the paranormal seems to happen to children between those ages too, because you know, they're very open. Well now you have this sighting though, but you have
1: this sighting you were, I guess, what, in your twenties or teens?
3: Yeah, let me see. I think I was about twenty two at the time. Okay. And we saw this cone shaped object that was in the sky and you could almost see through it but couldn't. It was semi transparent and it was it was rotating as it was moving along in the sky which was very odd in itself. And you've got the pointy piece at the top and you've got the rounded bit at the bottom. It looks very much like what we would call in England a dunce's hat, you know, that you have the, the letter D on the front because you're not too good, you're not too bright in your class at school. So you wear this little hat, you know, which was a cute little thing. But uh, we actually saw this similar shaped object in the sky that was rotating. And we watched it for quite some time as it, as it went along the sky and... And the very next day we were coming out of an underground London tube station and we noticed on the front of a newspaper that many, many people in the area of London had actually seen the same UFO. There was a huge article on the front page of the Evening Standard newspaper and other people had actually seen this object as well.
2: Tracy, was it, was it giving off any light at all?
3: No. No, no light at all. Uh, it was a very um, light gray in color. Like I said, it was so difficult. It's almost like when you see a ghost. I don't know if you've ever personally seen a ghost, but they they give off this impression that you can almost see through them. But at the same time, they give off the color that it's a solid object. So no, no light, but this duality of semi-transparent and this grayish color.
2: Could you tell how high up it was or how big it was?
3: Well, this is, let me see, uh, if I was to stick out my arm in front of me and put my thumb out or put my little finger out, I would say, it was probably about the size of my little fingernail. I would say it was just a few hundred feet up. It wasn't, It well, no, I'd say probably about a thousand feet up. It wasn't very low at all, mm-hmm. but it wasn't very mm-hmm. high. And uh, it was just probably a few miles away.
2: How fast was it moving when you say you watched it for quite a while? Was it moving at a relatively slow pace? that allowed you oh, to see it for slow. as long as you
3: really. Exactly, okay. yeah. This thing was not moving very quickly at all. This was just pretty much, I don't want to say hovering, because hovering just implies that, you know, it's come to a standstill. But it was right. moving, but it was moving very slightly. So, but enough mm-hmm. time for us to, uh, you know, really get a good look at this thing.
2: And what was your friend's reaction when you saw this on the paper the next day?
3: Well, to be honest, he wasn't surprised at all, because he'd actually seen things... As a small child, and he's had personal UFO sightings, so he's kind of had that most of his life, whereas I, as far as I remember, hadn't. I don't remember seeing anything being that young. So um, it, was no, uh, it was no big deal to him. It was to me, but it wasn't to him.
1: Well, let me ask you that question, maybe explore it a bit further. It is common for kids to have unusual encounters when they will have those encounters later on in life. It doesn't have to be a UFO. It could be any kind of, say, paranormal right. experience. You didn't see a UFO until you were in your early 20s. What about other events, anything unusual?
3: Well, to be honest with you, I attended a UNO conference here in Laughlin, Nevada quite some years ago, and it's an annual thing that they have, an annual event, and I turned up one particular year a few years ago, and... Uh, Let me see. Mary Rodwell from Australia was there, and I had some healing with her. And as she was putting the hands on healing with me, she said to me, I have a small gray being here showing himself to me, and this small gray being is telling me that he was with you from about the age of seven. He's telling me that he's quite upset about it because you don't remember it. But he was there and you spoke to him and you had this little kind of relationship thing going on and uh, you just don't remember it. And I had to really, really, really think back to that time of being seven and I don't remember it. But uh, I have friends who are astrologers and psychics and they had picked up actually in my astrology chart and psychically that something It happened to me at the age of seven. Well, one of these people, one of these other people, one of these other psychics, told me that, uh, yes, abductions had started for me from the age of seven, and they would happen every few years there'd be a gap before it would happen again. And apparently, early 90s, when I was on a trip in Florida with the same friends who I was with in London, I had an abduction that I didn't recall, but he witnessed me missing from a motel room for about four hours. And it wasn't until many, many years ago later that I decided to have hypnotic regression that we did relive that and that indeed something did happen that evening. But but back then, it took him two years to tell me about witnessing this event because of just freaking me out. As back then, it would have done. Not so much now. But uh, back then, it would have been a you know a hard thing for me to have grasped.
1: I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception, day and night, especially night when it gets difficult. So I've discovered that Crane's CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio, and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car. A sleep timer. An alarm clock so you can get up at the right time and a weather alert that now works as an all hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting our site. TheParacast.com. That's TheParacast.com. Right now, click on the Sea Crane sponsor button to order the CC Radio Plus for one sixty four ninety five, and that includes free ground shipping and a free Sea Crane catalog. Place your order today.
2: Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news@theparacast.com. That's news@theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next.
1: You're in the Paracast okay. with Gene Steinberg and David Begetny. We're talking to Tracy Austin Peters. She's producer and host for a show that is featured out of Las Vegas called Let's Talk Paranormal. Well, right now we're talking about her experiences, and she's bringing up what might be an abduction encounter, but, you know, there are a lot of questions we all have about this, and David, you're about to launch well, yeah. one of them.
2: Well, along those lines, when you say it would have really bothered you then, but... Not so much now. Can you explain that a little bit?
3: Sure. Well, over the years, I've become to investigate and research this subject in more and more detail since that very first sighting, actually, in 1987. And so now it's more familiar to me within the whole genre uh, of, of, you know, speaking to guests that come on my show and reading books and attending events. It's pretty much a normal, if I can say normal, a normal thing. That, that happens in life to people and back then it was pretty much an unknown to me so i wouldn't have been able to have accepted it so easily as i do today
2: hmm. so basically given that you've looked into the accounts of abductions and the accounts of these types of episodes that people have you, you're saying that you feel that people can actually become acclimated to this almost comfortable with it. is that right i
3: think it can. I, I think it all depends on the person. Um, some people really do have a hard time dealing with this and I think if they seek out the best possible people in the field uh, such as Bud Hopkins or David Jacobs that can actually help them through this I think you pretty much can deal with it and can live with it on a day to day basis. I'm not saying that you know it's it's not affecting the emotions to some degree because it is. But uh, what do you do about it? You know, what can you do about it? There's nothing you can do. And I was told by my friend many years back, well, if you go through hypnotic regression with this, remember, you have to live with this, knowing that this happened to you. And that's why I left it for quite some time. I left it until a time where I felt comfortable enough to actually explore it for myself, because once you've opened that can of worms, so to speak, it's opened. And so... uh, um you have to suffer the consequences of that. So I think it's the the right time for it, to be honest with you. And I think yes, if you seek out the best possible people in the field to help, then great. I think I think it can uh, only be advantageous.
2: I had heard a little bit about the um, international UFO Congress that happened also in Nevada a few months back and uh, actually there were reports that when david jacobs gave his presentation about abductions that a lot of people walked out of the audience because jacobs put forward really? the message that these were not positive events in people's lives that these actually were really disturbing people, and I guess this didn't really jive up with what the audience had wanted to hear as far as the interactions being of a beneficial nature. What do you think about that? What In any regression hypnosis that you did, what was the nature of your encounter? Was it benevolent or was it malicious? No,
3: it was totally benevolent and it felt very good and when i say it felt very good i mean that i was comfortable with it then and i'm comfortable with it now it uh, it felt like i had known this particular being for oh eons in fact i actually woke from the regression crying that i didn't want to leave this being because i felt like he was a relative almost, if I can say that. I had attended the conference in Loslin, but I, I wasn't able to attend the whole week, so unfortunately I wasn't there when David Jacobs gave his lecture. But um, I think people have to understand that there are good and bad people here on this planet, and the same has to be the same out in the universe. You know, there are uh, hunters out there that, you know, purely are out there just to hunt. They're not here to befriend anyone. They're just there for their own means and their own gains. And not not all of them are benevolent or or malevolent. There's a whole mixture of different races. And I think, you know, you've only got to look at this planet to realize that there are all kinds of people here. There are good people. There are bad people. And I had a guest on Let's Talk Paranormal uh, about a year ago named Ale Marzuli, who's an author who lives in Malibu. And he wrote a trilogy called the Nephilim trilogy. Great, great guest. And he has a religious background. And from his perspective, he was saying that UFO sightings and the beings that are involved with them are actually malevolent. That they are involved somehow with uh, that they're, they're demonic. They're not here for good intentions. That was his side of the story. So, you know, it got me wondering, well, is this possibly the case that there are more beings coming here that are more demonic, on the demonic, the satanic side of things, than actually alien visitations? You know, it's a thought that people need to kind of think about, I
2: think. Well, that almost sounds uh, like the projections of people's expectations versus the reality of what these things might be. Because when we talk about satanic beings, of course, uh, Satan is is a human convention. It's a way to try to understand uh, negativity and to give it in the same way that I think humans give positive thoughts this name of God, that you know God is love, which is the one sort of a overriding rule whenever we hear religious people talk about God, they always couch it in the terms of God is love. And Satan is supposed to be a negative thing. I'm you know, wondering what is the line that one draws between the human projection of expectation or explanation of motive versus what it actually is because i mean if we were to take the role of most of the animals that live on this planet let's say that we were to step into the cow's shoes and make a moral judgment about humanity Uh, given the way that we treat animals i think it might be safe to say that we're satanic beings from the point of view of an animal who's being used as a resource Right, so right. I think it's so. It's always important to look at point of view of the person making the judgment.
3: Well, that's that's perfectly true. What you're saying, you know, I, it, it's up to the individual and how. See, I'm not a religious person. I I don't really take on any form of religion. I have no interest in it. Uh, I like to think more along the spiritual lines than religious. But if we talk about God, there's a duality. You know, you can't have good without evil. You mm-hmm. can't have evil without good. There's a duality. What is there? And so, um, again, it's really to the person that is perceiving this. But for me, and and the being that I encountered, well, actually I encountered five, four small gray guys and a larger guy that was more of the one that was in control.
1: Let me ask you a question before we go further, Tracy. Now, these beings you encountered, did you only remember them under the hypnotic state, or do you have a separate Physical memory of this.
3: No, I only remembered it under the hypnotic state. But I always had a feeling that there was something not quite right with my life. I always felt a little bit different. You know, you hear people say they always felt a little bit different from the average person. I could say that about myself. I never felt comfortable in school. I'd say I I never felt happy in school, it was too much of a a formatted system that I had to do every day, Uh, the people I were amongst my friends didn't seem normal to me. So I I had a fairly hard time trying to grow up and I don't know if music came along for me as some kind of, I wouldn't say escape, but something that I could focus on to enhance that side of my development. I don't know. But I always felt something wasn't quite right. Society wasn't quite right. My life wasn't quite right. But the beings themselves, no, it was only under under hypnotic regression that I remembered them.
1: Hey there, listeners. Have you ever thought about hosting your website? You know where you can actually host your blog or your webpage? Well, I'll tell you where to go host i can host i can and as a matter of fact they provide all our hosting too for this site and guess what their price starts at only seven dollars a month how could you go wrong it's reliability and speed speaks for itself. And that's why we're able to provide you with this radio show that you're listening to right now. It's Host I Can. Give them a try. You'll be glad you did. Hey, all you have to do is go to our website, thepowercast.com, and scroll down a little bit. You'll see a Host I Can banner. That's a Host I Can banner at thepowercast.com. Click on that banner, and you'll learn more about Host I Can, where we host our sites.
0: We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or a question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at the parrot back up. <laughs>
1: You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're proud to be talking to Tracy Austin-Peters. She's producer-host for Let's Talk Paranormal. And before I ask the devil's advocate question, after which you may not like us anymore, Tracy, okay. <laughs> where can one see this show?
3: Well, right now, uh, our website is under construction. It's been newly designed, and we have clips of all of our shows that we've done. We've done about 58 shows to date. All of the clips of our shows are on there that viewers can take to look at. We were also broadcasting in Manhattan, New York, Arizona, and Iowa. But because we recently relocated to Las Vegas, our show currently isn't on air on one of the local cable stations here. We're currently working on that. But clips of the show are on there on the website, and viewers can uh, can happily see those.
2: So are you thinking of moving to a paid model where people would pay to see your show on the web, or are, would you consider putting the shows on YouTube or Google Video for people to watch in their entirety? <laughs>
3: probably a mixture to be honest with you. Um we would like to take the show to a higher level and so that we can be doing this full time and, and making an income from what we love to do.
1: Yeah, it sounds familiar when you say that. Hey, let me just right. raise the question now, which is I guess the one and that is that there's a feeling on the part of some people who get involved in this kind of research that some of these claims of abduction scenarios abduction encounters do not exist beyond the hypnotic encounter that maybe the hypnotist is doing something to Mm -hmm. make you remember something that didn't really happen so who was this hypnotist by the way
3: was a lady from Texas who had had encounters herself, and she is actually the mother-in-law of Nick Redfern. Oh. So, a very credible lady and superb lady. And I wasn't actually going to go along with it. And it was Nick's wife who said to me, "You know, while my mum is here at the conference, we ought to perhaps think about getting this information out and doing some hypnotic regression and see, you know, see what happens." I, you know, was a little bit reluctant at first, but I decided to go along with it and we did and that's where the information came out
1: okay well obviously Nick Redfern is somebody that is known to the show he's been on here before and but I had to ask that because is she a doctor is she a psychologist what is she
3: I believe that she is I think she's a doctor of therapy Hmm. Okay. I only ever met her once at that particular conference, so um, I don't know too much about this lady. But she was very credible; uh, liked her a lot, and she seemed to be very good at what she did. So, as far as I know, she's a doctor of hypnotherapy. Maybe if she hears this show, she'll correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> uh,
2: let me ask you a question, Tracy. You've had a number of guests on your show, and we're going to ask you to voice an opinion here. Who do yes. you think are the two most credible guests in your experience? that you've had on your show if you had to pick two
0: Ooh,
3: if people? I had to pick two, yeah. mm, very difficult because they're all great people and I only like to think that I have credible guests on my show. But I think the two that really stand out are David Sarita and Dr. Roger Lear, uh, who is a personal friend of mine. Those, I think, are the two that stick out in my mind.
2: We've had, uh, we've had Dr. Lear on the show. We've had some interesting uh, discussions with him. He's doing some fascinating work. I'm curious, why would you say David Sarita?
3: I enjoyed David's presentation on the show. We did we did the show in two parts, and it was titled Evidence, the Case for NASA UFOs. And David is extremely knowledgeable with this information and his various theories which he puts forward, which I think are very credible. So he had a lot of footage that was from space that a lot of people, you know, poo-poo UFOs and that, oh my gosh, you know, the usual thing, well, it was a flock of geese or you were drinking or something like that. But when it's actually out in space and you see that, and these things are doing right-angle turns, there's no denying it that there's something there that is not of earthly origin. So we liked his footage that he put forward. We liked his theories, and everything seemed to jive.
1: I want to tell you something here. My friend and co-host, David Biedney, you may not know this. Maybe you haven't checked his bio. He's one of the foremost... Image editing experts in the world. David, I want to right. put you on the spot here. You have a few reactions to some of the things David Sarita has done.
2: Yeah. I've looked at some of the video footage that Sarita has put forward, Tracy, right. and, you know, actually the the example of the object that makes the, the very tight turn. I was really curious about that footage, and I looked at it, and I was fascinated by the fact that at the same moment that that object makes a turn, What's extremely obvious is that the entire camera assembly is being moved. And actually, I called David at home and asked him about this. And I said, David, I've been looking at this footage because I... uh went and watched a couple of the documentaries that he's produced. I think a couple of them are up on Google Video. And, of course, that's compressed footage, so it's a little hard to see completely clearly. But certainly, in terms of, you know, for example, that one thing where the objects turn, it was pretty clear that that was the result of, again, the entire camera assembly moving. And I I called David, and I I asked him about that, and he uh, completely evaded the question. Absolutely. And then there was a whole thing that had gone on online, which relates to this um, new documentary he's, come out, he's got coming out or is about to come out, where David claims that he has discovered a source of zero-point energy and is ready to build a craft to go to Andromeda, which, of course, oh. I find to be patently nonsensical. So I'm really I'm interested in the fact that you cite David Sarita as a compelling guest. There was also online the entire thing with Michael Lee Hill, who is the co-producer of this latest documentary, who had shot a bunch of footage over Lake Erie of what he claimed right. to be these fascinating UFOs that are very clearly airplanes and landing formations and holding formations. And I had a bit of a, of an interaction with Michael Lee Hill on the above top secret website where, I mean, this is the problem, of course, and specifically in the UFO field is that people will choose a position and then will defend it with their lives regardless of what the facts do or don't corroborate i find this particularly problematic with sarita and we've had sarita on the show and actually we had an interesting interview with him as i started doing due diligence work after the fact um it became clear to me that a lot of what david was presenting was highly questionable and and this is the problem that i think that we're seeing in the ufo field is that even in cases where people have one or two interesting occurrences or sightings or even interactions with beings and then take Mm -hmm. that off in a direction i mean there's the entire story of, of Stephen greer that we won't get into in this show but it's it's very sad that dr greer had done some interesting work and then sort of um poison the pool as it were with subsequent stuff that really it's almost as if it was designed to detract credibility from the discussion and this Tracy, is something that on the paracast we're really interested in because we feel that a lot of the discussion around these topics has marginalized the field and marginalized the notion of having credible discussion about these things because obviously something's going on you probably haven't listened to episodes of our show but uh, personally i've had some a whole range actually of paranormal experiences that have led me to believe that something very significant is going on except
1: I don't know what for fifty eight years fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal like angels and miracles psychic phenomena ghosts ufos and much much more to receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your Fate
2: Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too.
0: You're paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietny. You
1: never know what's going to happen next. Join the paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney and we're talking to Tracy Austin Peters. She's producer host for a show that called Let's Talk Paranormal and she first discovered UFOs, I guess, back in the 1980s as a concert pianist, and then later learned that she has had other encounters, other experiences. So let's proceed. David. Well, I was just curious to
2: know what Tracy's reaction is when, again, David Sarita has a documentary out that claims that he's discovered a way for humans to travel to Andromeda, a galaxy that's two million light years away from the Earth. I mean, what's your... What's, and I know we're putting, on you, putting you on the spot here. We're, we're sort of known for doing that on the Farragut. But what is your reaction to that? I'm curious. When you hear
3: Yeah, I haven't actually been in touch with David since he was a guest on the show which was about twelve months ago now. Okay. And so I'm not familiar with this, this idea, this theory that David put together to for this craft to travel to Andromeda. I want to say on a bigger level that I feel man can imagine nothing because it's already created. I think it's already there. So, And it's like any, any thought, any idea, any energy. It's just a matter of tapping into it. So why not? Maybe he has. The proof has to be in the pudding, as we say in England. So I don't know. This is something maybe I could ask David about and uh, maybe do a second show with him to see what this is all about. But mm-hmm. for me, man can imagine nothing. It's It's already created.
2: So every musical form, then, because you're a musician, and I'm a musician as well, and I appreciate putting things in a musical context, then when a composer composes music, you're saying they're tapping into uh, a greater realm outside of them where the music already exists, and they're essentially just transcribing it versus actually creating it on their own?
3: Well, yeah, it's questionable, isn't it? I mean, where do they get the ideas to do this?
1: Well, then, you know, isn't that saying that there is no creativity, that all you're doing is grabbing hold of something that already exists out there? So how do we talk of creativity, then?
3: Well, it's, it's creativity to us. That's that's the only way that we can explain it, is creativity. That's the name for it. There's actually no name for God. It's just that we call that force God, but that's just the word for us to to grasp it as creativity. But we're picking that up from somewhere. We're picking that energy up from a, from a different realm, in order to be sensitive enough to do something with it.
2: I wonder if that's really true, though. I, I wonder if it's almost. A, I can almost hear the humanists out there thinking this is an insult to human creativity. Um, and I understand what you're saying, though, in that from a human point of view, we try to couch everything in terms of our experience and our comprehension. What else do we have to work with, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, it's a gift. It's not an insult. The universe is giving it as a gift. and That's why I said, you know, I was I was thinking on a larger level. I was thinking on a bigger level. Mm-hmm. This is a gift that the universe is giving.
2: Does the universe give gifts or tools, though? I wonder. Is the universe doing things out of altruism, or is it doing things out of a purpose?
3: Well, I think there's a purpose for everything. Again, you know, it's it's up to the individual how they use the, the tool if you want to, to call it that but I, I personally what I believe and what I feel it's a gift for us to do something with. It's how we turn that into something.
2: It's interesting that you say that because again I, I wonder when we say it's a gift, people like again in using the word gift, people give people other people gifts um out of a sense of friendship from love but also because we want to keep our friends and <laughs> being generous is a good thing to keep your friends happy it also gives one a good feeling as well to know that your friends are happy when you do something good for them at least that's what it sh- i think that's what it should do for people but i wonder about the idea of the universe giving us gifts versus perhaps the notion of the universe pushing us in a direction in subtle ways Because maybe the universe has an agenda that we're just part of, and it needs us to get there. At that point, maybe a gift is not a gift. Maybe a gift is something that has more of an agenda to it. I think that for a lot of people, especially people who do embrace religion at some part of their lives they want there to be greater meaning than just random entropy. They, they need something a little more deterministic. So I, I think right. it's interesting that you use the term gift. you see what I'm saying?
3: Right. Well, the, the universe is the all-knowing, and there's an abundance of uh, energy to tap into there. It doesn't want to, uh, how can I say this without sort of getting too detailed? Um, <laughs> it has an abundance of information. It has an abundance of, uh, I guess we're, get, we're tapping onto the secret here that was recently, you know, exposed to the world that you can acquire anything in life that your heart desires. You just have to put it out there in the universe as an order. A little bit like walking into a restaurant and ordering your food. You do the same thing for the universe. You ask and you will receive. The universe does know, it, it does know how to create because it is. The creator there's an abundance of um, wealth of all different kinds whether it's knowledge finance or whatever whatever that it wants to put forward and put into your life so and it's how we interpret it and how we work with that but um, I do agree with what you were saying earlier
2: You know, uh, you're referring, of course, to that book in the documentary called The Secret. I think it's fascinating that these ideas have been very popular in parts of the world where there's a very significant amount of material wealth and comfort. I think um, I grew up in South America, in Venezuela, and that was a country and is a country that's very heavily dominated by the, the Catholic Church. But I think if you go into the poorer parts of that country and tell people that uh, they can have whatever they want, all they have to do is uh, request it politely from the universe, they'll laugh in your face, as will any number of Rwandans or Iraqis or South Africans or uh, or East Timorese. Um, I think that uh, the problem with the notion of the secret, which, of course, is just a rehash, I don't know what the right term here is. I'd call it a philosophy, but I don't want to imbue it with that much credibility. It's an idea that's been around for quite a while, and as I said, it seems to surface in societies where there's a significant amount of material wealth, where people aren't really suffering any hardship, and so those are places where most self-help methodologies are sold. You won't find self-help methodologies for sale in parts of the world that uh, are much less affluent than we are. So. Uh, not to not to shoot that down, which of course is pretty much no, what I hate no. doing. And, and,
3: <laughs> right? No, no and, I, and I guess that a lot of people from various parts of the world are not materialistic, so they don't really want these these kind of things in life to manifest. They're happy with a simple life because they know no other. We want to
0: hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to. You. News at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com.
1: Hey, let me tell our listeners, you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We have Tracy Austin Peters here. She is, I guess, a paranormal talk show or TV host for a show called Let's Talk Paranormal. And she's talked to a lot of people. I wanted to ask you here why this had anything to do with anything but the fact that when your TV show came into being, you had Michael Keaton on that show to talk about the White Noise movie. Now, what would that have to do with the paranormal being that we're talking about a movie that's fiction?
3: Right. Well, like I'd, uh, when I interviewed Michael, he said that once he'd seen the script of White Noise, he just thought it was a great script for a movie. He didn't actually realize that it was a real thing. There was electronic voice phenomena. And uh, he was surrounded by uh, a few experts in the field, Tom and Lisa Butler, who I had on my show as well, that were also uh, researchers and advisors for the movie. and they have uh, thousands of thousands of recorded voices from the other side. And Michael then realized that there obviously is something to this. We, you know he didn't realize that uh, it was a real phenomenon.
2: At the time, they have thousands and thousands of interactions or or recordings. Do they, in their analysis of these recordings, do they find any sort of? um overlap information uh, what is the nature of the information that's contained in these voice messages are they clear attempts of at communication or are they, more, are they more random in terms of the kinds of sounds or the kinds of messages they're hearing
3: I think they would be saying that it is a clear attempt to try and communicate because some of the messages are very obvious they're very clear and they're very obvious some aren't so clear some aren't so obvious you have to really really listen to understand what spirit is trying to get across but um, some it's not only in voices as well it's coming through in computers and it's coming through on the telephone it's coming through on radio and it's a whole manner of uh, devices that EVP is picked up, Uh, some of the pictures that they've actually brought along to the show that we have upon the website uh, are phenomenal. Uh, A guy with a dog from the spirit world, and you can clearly see that it's a dog that the guy is holding. So um, I think it's phenomenal that spirits do indeed want, it seems that they do want to communicate with us and let us know that they're here. There's no actual place that they go. They're still here. They're still around us.
1: Well, you know, we are assuming here, I'm going to do the devil advocates thing again, okay? We're assuming here that they are spirits. How do we know what they are? How do we know that we're not being fooled into what they really are? And this goes back to a lot of the theories we've discussed in the Paracast with regard to UFO encounters, that the so-called entities or beings are not really telling us the truth here, that they might actually, for example, be government agents playing games with us or be beings with some kind of malevolent... Goals or just having fun. Who knows? Maybe we're the playground of the universe and the aliens, interdimensional travelers, time travelers, whatever, they come here to play their games. How do we know they're telling the truth?
3: I think you, you've raised a great point. I think, how, how do we know it? I mean, how can we know for sure we don't? I think it depends what it means to the actual person receiving the message or the sighting. But then again, maybe that in turn is still questionable. So it really just depends on the individual who's receiving the message or the sighting to to see what they think about it. I know that Tom Butler, when he was on the show, said that some of spirit do seem to be jokesters and tricksters. And one of one point in case was a, a voice that they had received, uh, one of their clients had received, was from a, from a gentleman, an elderly gentleman, who said on the recording device, tell her it's Satan. So <laughs> was that a relative who was known in this life for being a jokester and a trickster saying that? Or was it actually something else? There's no real way of knowing.
2: Yeah, now, of course, that brings up the question Does that mean that all paranormal episodes or the vast bulk of paranormal episodes are simply of a subjective nature and that perhaps we can't draw any objective conclusions about them? Or if you in your own discussions with a variety of people who claim to have these experiences, have you come to some set of even preliminary conclusions about perhaps, an objective nature to these types of episodes?
3: I like to think that all of my guests that I have on the show are very credible uh, people, credible researchers and investigators in their field of expertise, some being close personal friends, of course. And I think that what they are uncovering is true in its own nature as as true. They are, you know, recovering something that is a phenomena, There's something that is strange and hard to understand and accept. It's a hard subject to grasp because where is the actual truth of it? How do we break it down to tell us? Where do we draw the lines? It's very hard to say. Bigfoot, for example, I haven't yet done a show on Bigfoot, but I have a friend who's a producer in L.A. who did a documentary called Bigfootville. And they went out to Oklahoma with a British team of producers and their crew a couple of years ago and spoke to with a variety of people who'd seen Bigfoot. One gentleman who was a... A medicine man who had seen it with his own eyes and these people were saying that they'd actually seen with their own eyes this creature striding a five-foot fence just walking over it with ease so they saw it whatever It is. It was in their description as a Bigfoot. I don't think it was a man in a suit who happened to to know that they were there at the time with their crew to film this. They've seen this on many occasions. And so in that particular incident, I think what they were actually seeing was Bigfoot. I think it does exist, and I do believe it's out there.
2: It is always more compelling to have witness testimony that involves corroboration between multiple witnesses. That that always, of course, I know in in the time in, in, in our talks with various types of guests who have these kinds of encounters it is always more compelling we find that you have more than one person witnessing it which of course takes it outside of really any kind of base psychological realm and puts it into the material world of course there are some people who then would say well perhaps there's one person in the party who has some sort of strong ability to project the psychological images as as physical manifestations i also i almost find that more unbelievable than the idea of there being an actual paranormal event taking place, because, you know, that just, it does sound a little out there. Now, I'm going to ask you another question, Tracy, that goes back to, it's sort of the um, compliment to the, who are the most credible uh, guests that you've had on. Give me one example, if you can, of a guest that you've had on that after the guest left the show after you were done with the interview you thought to yourself mm, that doesn't quite sound believable to me. Is there an example of that you can cite?
3: I have to I honestly say hand on heart, no. Really? No. Because I like to thoroughly investigate my, my guest do a little bit of research on them, find out their background, what they're doing, what they've been involved with, uh, who they are and I can honestly say no. Okay. No, they've all presented their case as well. <laughs>
0: This is Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, reporting for ConspiracyJournal.com. Fascinated by the strange and unknown? Things that go bump in the night? UFOs, time travel, Area 51, the Philadelphia experiment, shady government cover ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to conspiracyjournal.com or email Tim Beckley at Mr. UFO at webtv.net. It's all out of this world.
2: Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next.
1: Well, this is the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're talking to Tracy Austin Peters, host of Let's Talk Paranormal. And I guess that raises the larger argument there, because certainly in the case of David Sarita, for example, he's come up with some stuff that is questionable, unless we all want to go to Andromeda. And so how did you investigate David Sarita?
3: Well, David Sarita, I actually, I was a Master of Ceremonies at a conference out in Denver a couple of years ago for MUFON, and I actually met David Sarita there, and I hadn't met David prior to that, so he gave me his business card, and I checked David Sarita out online, his bio, and what he was currently doing. I have friends that knew David, and they said, yeah, you know, he's a he would be a great guest to have on your show, plus of all of his contacts with Dan Aykroyd and the UFO genre.
1: Well, you know what? One thing we had with David, and I saw the DVD, and David did Mm -hmm. too, that he did with Dan Aykroyd. And I won't talk about the production except for one thing. It seemed throughout the presentation, it was basically an informal, impromptu interview with Dan Aykroyd, who we all know has a great interest in these subjects. And as far as the footage he was showing of UFOs, he just repeated the same stuff over and over again. And some of it is or consists of well known faked movies movies that have been identified as fakes for many many years and my concern here is that david sirita may be sincere in what he has to say but he didn't vet the contents of this dvd have the opportunity here with a well-known oscar-nominated comic actor and serious actor to produce some pretty interesting stuff and all he did was play the same videos over and over again it was really to me it was kind of a letdown i expected a lot more, especially because certain photos there were not real.
3: Um, I can't really comment on that, because uh, it's been over 12 months since I had David on the show, and I'd need to go back and look at some of that evidence to see for myself. Um, Of course, what David actually brought to the show was NASA footage, what NASA had taken. So seeing it on face value like that, I was under the impression, and still am, that it's it's genuine material. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not the only footage that I've seen from NASA. There's been
2: many, right. many others. There are some clips from NASA that are, that are indeed compelling. There are a couple of clips that I've seen in particular that are very, very interesting. Unfortunately, none of these have been presented by Sarita. The other interesting thing, Tracy, just for your research information, is that in the last maybe six, seven months, it appears that Ackroyd has distanced himself from Sarita and does not mm-hmm. appear to be involved with him in any in any professional fashion anymore. I find that to be very interesting as well, to be honest with you. I think that, that says a lot.
3: Well, again, I haven't been in touch with David for, uh, since we did the show for about a year now, so okay. that's the first of you telling me that I've heard of that. Is there a possibility that Dan Aykroyd is involved in uh, TV work again, that he's had to distance himself? I, I don't that know. I've
1: heard, I haven't heard of anything that he's doing really up to this point, that he's involved in a lot of work. Obviously, we can speculate, and I won't speculate here as to whether there was something there that he felt maybe Sarita was not providing properly credible information. But I think, you know, I don't know whether Aykroyd accepted all that stuff as genuine or not. I have no idea. And certainly we're not prepared to speculate. Yeah, we don't know that. Right. Exactly. Right. So let me ask you, because we have a few minutes left here, and that is where do you plan to go with your show? What are you going to do from here in terms of spreading the word, as it were?
3: Well, all of our shows right now are on location in Las Vegas, and uh, we are asking the general public who do reside out here in Las Vegas if they would like to be a guest on the show to share their paranormal experiences, whatever, whether it's ghosts, UFOs, or other, we'd be happy to go and talk to them and possibly do a show with them. What we're trying to do is to take the show to a bigger level beyond that by investment, and we do have some interest at the moment, so we're trying to get the show back on the the local channel out here and get the word out and uh, try to go national with it.
1: Okay, where do we get in touch with you if we want to learn more about the things that you do?
3: You can go to my website, which is www.letstalkparanormal.com and there's a whole host of information on there and it'll tell you of current projects that we're going to be involved with.
1: Well, thank you very much, Tracy Austin Peters, host producer Thank of Let's you. Talk Paranormal. Thanks for joining us on The
0: PowerCast. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.
3: It was wonderful talking to
0: you. The PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedny is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The PowerCast.